Let's pray as we turn to God's word and seek his help. And Father, our prayer is that as we look into your word now, we would be introduced, not for the first time, but once again to your amazing pity. Show pity, Lord, we sang just now. And we praise you, O Lord, that you are so full of pity. We read that as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. Give us that holy fear for you, Lord, and pour out your pity upon us. Don't let us merely hear about it, but experience it, we pray. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I'm pretty sure that you'll be familiar with the story of Jonah, but let me just very quickly remind you of what happened. We read the second half of the book. In the first half, of course, the Lord speaks to Jonah and tells him to go to Nineveh with this message that in 40 days, because of the sin of the city, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. And the last thing Jonah wants to do is go to Nineveh. It was the the capital city of what we might call the superpower of that day, the, the arch enemy of Jonah's people. And so instead of obeying God and heading for Nineveh, he goes off in the opposite direction, gets on a boat and heads for Spain. And thinking that way, he can get as far away from Nineveh as possible. But of course, uh, the Lord isn't going to be outwitted and not far into the voyage on the boat and a storm blows up and the sailors are struggling to keep the boat afloat and they're all praying to their various gods and obviously those gods are non-entities so nothing happens. Then they discover Jonah fast asleep and so they wake him up and say pray to your God and Jonah confesses that This storm is his fault. He's running away from his God. And he says to them, if you throw me overboard, you'll be safe. And uh, they're reluctant to do that, of course, to start with. But in the end, they realize they have no option. So down into the sea goes Jonah and the storm finishes. And the Lord, of course, prepared that great fish, swallowed up Jonah and eventually deposited him on the beach And the Lord's word came to him that second time, go to Nineveh. And so having had that experience, he realized he had no choice and off he went in the correct direction this time to Nineveh. Traveled through this great city with this message, 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And he wasn't totally surprised when he saw that the people responded to his message that God had given him that they put on sackcloth and ashes they repented and the Lord in response to their response relented and the disaster didn't come 40 days passed and Nineveh survived and this made Jonah angry as a loyal Jew nothing would have pleased him better than to see Nineveh overthrown and destroyed and so he goes away in a mood, sits down and feels angry. And the Lord comes to talk to him. Is it right for you to be angry, he asks. And Jonah doesn't bother 
to give an answer at that point. And then the Lord makes this plant grow up and Jonah's able to shelter under it from the heat and sit there moping with this plant as a little shelter for him. But during the night, of course, the Lord sends this worm that eats the root and the next morning the wind blows and in next to no time the plant's gone. And there's Jonah sitting under the heat of the sun, shriveling and moping all the more. And the Lord comes to him again with that same question. Is it right for you to be angry? That's how he worded it the first time round. This time he adds the words about the plant. And Jonah, having refrained from answering the question when God asked it about Nineveh, now it's about the plant. His reply is, it is right for me to be angry, even to death. And then we come to the final two verses of the book. And these are what the verses I want us to home in on this morning. And let me just read them one more time. The Lord said, you have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and much livestock? Now notice Twice in those verses, we hear this word pity. And there's a great contrast that the Lord's drawing between the pity that Jonah felt for the plant and his own pity for the people of Nineveh and everything else that that city represented, much livestock as one example. And So what I want us to focus on this morning is this wonderful truth of the Lord's pity. And it's a a truth that has great relevance for us today. I don't know you all. It may be that somebody's here and you don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ in a personal way as your saviour. Well, the Lord has pity for you. And that's why Jesus came into this world to die for our sins. And the pity of the Lord is a wonderful invitation to come and get to know Jesus and experience that salvation. And of course, for those of us who are believers, the the pity of the Lord for a sinful world should encourage us more and more to be praying for those who are not yet saved, that they may realise that the Lord has pity on them and therefore the door is open to salvation. And of course, for those of us who are believers, to know that the Lord still has pity for us is a truly uplifting fact. And may we feel the power of that reality as we ponder these words this morning. Now, let's examine this contrast between Jonah's pity and the Lord's pity in six stages. And the first thing that we need to notice, if you've got your Bible open, you'll notice in verse 10, the Lord says to Jonah, you have had pity on the plant. And in verse 11, he says, and should I not pity Nineveh? 
So the, the contrast there is between you had and I should. The first of those is a statement of fact and, and maybe in this case rather a pathetic fact. Jonah's there feeling so sorry for a mere plant. But doesn't that indicate what is very often the case in human life? We have such a warped sense of priorities. We can so easily be pained by the loss of things that are so trivial. But notice the the contrast. As the Lord doesn't say, I have pity, like he said about Jonah, but I should have pity. This is an obligation that God places upon himself because he's dealing now with something far more significant than a mere plant. He describes Nineveh as that great city. And you may have noticed when we read chapter three, that phrase Nineveh was an exceedingly great city comes there in chapter three. And that's not the first time that it's been mentioned in the book that Nineveh is a great city. And it certainly was the greatest city in the world at that time, no doubt. And the Lord says, surely, therefore, I should have pity on Nineveh and its people. The word pity is in some other places in the Old Testament translated as spare. And for the Lord to pity Nineveh means that he should, as he put it, spare it from the destruction that he's been proclaiming it to deserve. And uh, one example of where the word is translated that way would be Psalm 72 verse 13, which says that the Lord will spare the poor and the needy and will save the souls of the needy. It's the same word. He will pity the poor and the needy and therefore will spare them, will save them. And there you hear straight away the the wonderful gospel proclamation of the Lord's pity that spares the souls of the needy. And, And we're all needy. We need his salvation because without it, we're headed for destruction. But the Lord's a God of pity. That's why Jesus came into this world. And when the Lord looks on us, In our state of sin, he feels deeply moved by our plight. And so he invites us to come. And there's an amazing statement in the light of what we've just said in the book of Romans, chapter 8 and verse 32, where it says he did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all. And that is the the greatest expression of the Lord's pity for a sinful world. He spares us at the cost of not having spared his own son. And we need to feel deep gratitude and express our gratitude to the Lord for that pity. 
So there's the first contrast. You had pity. Should I not have pity? Now, the second contrast, we've maybe touched on this a bit already, but it's the contrast between the plant and Nineveh. So in verse 10, the Lord says, you have had pity on the plant. And in verse 11, he asks, should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? So Jonah had pity for a plant. Now, I don't know if any of you still use the authorised version, but if so, you'll notice that the word translated plant in the New King James is translated good in the authorised. And that's um, an accurate translation, though it's probably a word that's unfamiliar these days, which is why the New King James has replaced it by the word plant. And everywhere where the word plant comes in the New King James, it's good in the authorised. And the thing about good is it emphasises that this was a poisonous plant. The, the word plant here is actually derived from the word to be sick. And that's the point. If Jonah had eaten this plant, he'd have been sick. No doubt it stank. And here he is sitting underneath it with its poison dripping onto him. And he feels sorry for it when it disappears. How pathetic. At least it was providing some kind of shelter, even though he was sitting under it, maybe even being sick and certainly smelling the vile stink. And the Lord said, you had pity on this poison, stinking plant. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city? So you see here, we're talking not about a trivial little plant, but a great city. How much more appropriate then is the Lord's pity than Jonah's? Because the Lord's looking at something so much greater, so much more valuable, the human race that he created in his own image. That's what he sees there in Nineveh, as he sees everywhere in the world. And yet, when you stop and think about it, in one sense, the human race in its sin is even more sickening than a mere plant, poison as it might be. And it wouldn't be an exaggeration, I don't think, to say that as God looks at humanity in its sin, it makes him feel sick. And yet he has pity. And one of the dangers that we face as churches is that which the church at Laodicea in the book of Revelation faced, when God says, I know your works, that you're neither cold nor hot. I could wish that you were cold or hot. So if it's a hot day, there are two things that you might find refreshing. One is a steaming hot cup of tea. The other is a, a cold drink of fruit juice with ice in it, cold or hot. One or the other is what will do you good on a hot day. But this church God finds neither cold nor hot, totally unrefreshing, lukewarm, 
And his response, I will vomit you out of my mouth. You make me feel sick, is what God is saying, even to one of his churches. And yet, he pities those who make him feel sick. That's the wonderful message of the gospel. He pities you and me, even though perhaps at times we have to admit we're only lukewarm. We need to beware of the danger for us as a church of becoming like that, but rejoice that the Lord still pities his people. The third contrast, now the these next contrasts are more implicit. Those first two were obvious. This time it's more implied. The Lord said in verse 10, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not laboured. Now, labour there, it's talking about hard work, toil to the point of weariness. Normally, if a plant is to grow, someone has to dig and fertilise and plant and water. Jonah didn't have to do any of that. The Lord did it all for him. No labour involved on Jonah's part. Now, the contrast, of course, again, as I say, implied, not stated, is that the Lord has done hard labour on behalf of Nineveh, as indeed he does on behalf of people anywhere and everywhere and always. The very fact that he sent Jonah to Nineveh was hard work that the Lord put in to get the people of Nineveh to repent, as they did. And no doubt he'd already prepared the way. He'd done a work in their hearts so that they were ready to respond when the messenger arrived. And this is the Lord's strenuous effort to save the city. And so the Lord labours for the human race as a whole. The Lord Jesus talks about that on a couple of occasions in, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5, verse 45. He speaks of your father in heaven who makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And then in Luke chapter 6, verse 35, he makes a similar point. That God, the most high God is kind to the unthankful and evil, as well as to those who respond in gratitude to his work. This is the effort that the Lord puts in day after day after day. The sun doesn't shine today only on those who are righteous, but on everybody. And the Lord is strenuously working to prepare people to be aware of his pity so that they can respond. The Apostle Paul said in, in Acts chapter 14 and Verse 17, that the Lord did not leave himself without witness in that he did good, gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And you don't have to be a believer to eat your dinner. You can feel happy even when you're not converted. But the reason 
is that God is working hard to open your eyes and your heart to his reality and to his pity so that you respond to him. So what an incentive we have to seek him. And what an incentive to pray that others will seek the Lord while he may be found. Contrast number four, Jonah did not make the plant grow. The Lord said, you've had pity on the plant for which you have not laboured nor made it grow. It's the Lord who did all the work. Says in verse six, the Lord God prepared a plant and made it come up over Jonah. Jonah put in no effort to make it grow. He he didn't have to feed it or fertilize it. He just sat there and it happened. And yet now he's heartbroken because this poisonous plant has shriveled and gone. And how silly he was how silly we can be when we take so much for granted and we live as if we have a right to expect the best. Now, again, this contrast is only implied, but the implication is that God nurtured Nineveh and its people and that Nineveh had achieve that leading position in the world of its day only because the Lord had been at work, the Lord who's sovereign over everything, over all the nations, all the time, saw fit that Nineveh should become the capital city of the world's leading empire of that day. And the Lord continues to nurture people particularly his people. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 29 speaks of how the Lord nourishes and cherishes the church. And it's his pity that lies behind that nourishing work that he does in our hearts. And what gratitude, therefore, should be our response. It's his effort in our lives that counts We contribute nothing. Then fifthly, we see that the plant came up in a night, says towards the end of verse 10. It happened so suddenly. Plants normally take longer than that to grow, don't they? But the Lord did it as quickly as that. But the implication of the contrast is that God's strategy with Nineveh and with people in general, is not that of a night, but long-term. He works slowly. Don't we find that? We often want to ask, why don't things happen sooner? We pray for revival and we pray for so long and we're waiting for the Lord's return. When's it going to happen? We want to see righteousness prevail in our society. We, We follow the lead of organizations like the Christian Institute and Christian Concern in praying for that. And yet change seems to take so long. The plant came up in a night. God works far more slowly in his normal dealings with the peoples of this world. And 
where we're so often in a hurry. God is not. And so it takes a long time sometimes. And we're called to pray God's pity down for a long time. And yet we know that he has pity. And there's a great contrast in his workings, which are slow and thorough than with the growth of that plant that was so quick. We read in in verse 11 of something of the size of Nineveh, 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left. Now, whether that's talking about people children who are too young to know the difference between right and left or or whether it's saying this is the total population of Nineveh and it's talking about spiritual discernment and uh, blindness to the depths of reality you can read it either way but how long has it taken the Lord to get Nineveh to that size he's he's worked slowly but it's all an expression of his pity that gives us hope as we pray persistently that there will be a gospel harvest in God's appointed time. So don't give up because the pity of the Lord never gives up. And then the last thing we see is that the plant perished in a night. That's how verse 10 finishes. And this was to be a lesson for Jonah. The Seventh verse tells us how it happened with this worm and this wind. And what Jonah had to learn, and this is the contrast, is that the people of Nineveh were a perishing people. But the difference between perishing in a night, as happened to the plant, and the perishing of people is that those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior, those who've not for themselves experience the pity of God, perish forever. And so the Lord's pity is moved as he sees a perishing human race throughout the world. In the first psalm, we hear these words. The way of the ungodly shall perish You remember twice when Jesus was discussing some of the atrocities of his day with people. He said, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And yet there's hope. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? The Lord asked Jonah, and obviously the proper answer was no, not at all. But the Lord is angry with a sinful world, and yet also the God of pity for that sinful world. And so there's hope. And it's against that background of the destiny of a sinful world to perish forever that we hear the words of what is no doubt the most famous verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And it's the pity of God that lies behind the gift of his son. So have you received the Lord Jesus? 
Have you believed so that your destiny is altered completely from perishing forever to everlasting life? And let's all of us who know and love the Lord Jesus pray that the message of God's pity in Christ would triumph not just in Nineveh back then, but in our towns, in our villages, in our cities today. And that people who are currently perishing would be rescued because God has pity on a sinful world. So, Father, we do praise you that that is true, that you are a God of pity. And even though we've rebelled against you and deserve nothing, you haven't just finished with us like that, but you continue to pity us and to show pity. And thank you that the greatest way in which you've shown pity is the gift of your son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If there's anyone here, Lord, for whom... That is not yet true. Oh, may your Holy Spirit work in their hearts even today. And move us all, Lord, we pray, to cry out to you that your pity would become a reality for the peoples of this world. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.